Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from the Business in Vancouver newspaper and from BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. Today on the show, we invite back Jason Turcott, our regular guest from Cressy Development Group, to look at the economic landscape in real estate. We'll walk through some of the budget highlights for that sector, as well as advancements in technology for homes. One third of BC's population is nearing the age of 50 and 17% has already achieved senior status. These facts mean an unprecedented shift that will have drastic economic and social implications for the province is coming to BC. On February 28th, our BIV Retirement Ready panel discussion will investigate how and when to retire and how to embrace what should be the triumphant years of a longer life. And coming up on March 8th, Business in Vancouver presents the 20th anniversary of the Influential Women in Business Awards. This takes place at the Fairmont Waterfront Hotel. You can join us as we celebrate International Women's Day, as well as six of BC's most outstanding business women. For full event info, check out BIV.com slash IWIB. For our Retirement Ready panel and our other events, you can visit BIV.com slash events. Joining me now with a deeper look at trends in the BC housing market is Jason Turcott, Vice President of Development at Cressy Development Group. Jason, thanks for coming on. Always my pleasure, Haley. Let's start with a quick look at BC's budget. If we go back a year, budget 2018, it had new and higher taxes plus lots of spending on housing programs. If we're moving now to budget 2019, what really stands out to you from a real estate perspective? Well, not much, really. There, there, there's not a whole lot to speak of in terms of meaningful new announcements, and I, I, I guess I'm not surprised. Um, um, although I would have, I would have liked to have seen, uh, you know, I, I think what I've liked to seen is, is, is some notion of of an incentive for, for, for either for for purchasers or or more so even just for people to continue to um, invest in real estate, whether it be through improvements to their own home or or um, you know, I, I I still think that we need to be mindful of of, a, of an industry that wants to um, I think I think stay healthy and, and in the words of the, of, of the minister, uh, she wanted to continue to stay healthy because they're depending on it. Uh, and in order to do that, I would have loved to have seen you know some some type of incentives um, to assist it because we've certainly seen a pretty strong. Um, uh, reaction to a, a whole number of pressures against uh, our industry. Mm-hmm. When you say notion of an incentive, I think back to the previous government that tried to pilot that loan program where you could get an interest-free loan for, I think, a period of five years. The current government canceled that last time around. How careful do governments need to be at this period of time where interest rates are rising and there are fairly high levels of consumer debt? So it's maybe good to have an incentive, but on the other hand, they maybe have to be careful. Where is that line? Because it seems like a bit of a balancing act. Well, it is for sure, and I think that you know, I I, I think it was um, obvious when they came out with the budget for 2018 that they had gone too far. Because in fact, if we go back to when they made the announcements um, last February, I believe mm-hmm. um, it it was uh, the market had already started to to shift. Uh, there was there was clear changes in certainly parts of the market even before that. So they were they were layering on, and, and it seemed that even at the time. A little bit overkill, and, I, and certainly I think it was. And you know, the risk is, as we've as we've seen, is that if we if we overtax the market, you know, meaning meaning um, 
literally and figuratively speaking, that that not only will will we slow supply, you know, you've got this snowballing effect of slowing supply, which, you know, hurts obviously jobs and all the rest of it, you know, the, the economy, it hurts the, the government's own budget because, uh, you know, fewer transactions and particularly fewer transactions that are happening primarily at lower price points, you know, that's a big impact on a relatively massive budget line item of property transfer tax for the government. So they need to be careful about it for sure. And we need to recognize that, you know, like it or not, uh, you know, development, you know, construction, construction and development representing massive percentage of our, of our GDP in this province. And, and uh, uh, it employs a ton of people like directly and indirectly. And so we need to be very mindful of, of, you know, of a soft landing. And I think to date, you know, generally speaking, we have seen that. And I think that is more a testament to the, uh, you know, to the de- desirability of our city and to the fact that nobody really leaves the city. But if, you know, if we prolong, a, you know, a, um, an economic cycle where, you know, we talk about recessions and people don't have any, aren't, don't have work, well, that's when we may have a problem where, where people are looking at uh, other places to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to your point, of course, the real estate sector as a whole generates quite a bit of tax revenue for the province. Do you think the industry would like to maybe see some kind of incentives, not just for purchasers, but for developers to ensure that the industry still sees that it's economically viable to continue building? For sure. And, and you know, particularly around rental housing, I think that that's something that people keep talking about, you know, people, you know, government officials, industry, everybody's talking about rental housing. How do we how do we get rental housing going? Well, there's nothing in this budget that would really give any meaningful incentive towards, um, you know, more construction of rental housing. And this is a goal that the government set out as, you know, wanting to achieve certain numbers of, of you know, affordable units and market units of rental and um, right now, we've got we've got a perfect storm working against it. We have, um, you know, at, at the moment stabilized interest rates, but we just went through a period of, of multiple interest rate increases. We we're still dealing with very very high construction costs. We've got property tax, uh, um, um, you know, to to assessments and increased municipal budgets. You know, talking about Vancouver specifically, we're talking about a five percent budget increase. And unfortunately, a lot of these old rental buildings are where uh, assessed values have gone through the roof, um, you know, in, in large part due to some neighborhood plans that have come into place and transactions that have happened over the few years, which are driving highest and best use values way, way up. And that puts a ton of pressure on on landlords and their ability to maintain these buildings as affordable rental units. Um, and so, yeah, I would have really liked to have seen, particularly around rental housing, that there be some meaningful incentive from the province on how we're going to continue to to get these uh, units supplied to the market and, and keep people working. In terms of meaningful incentives, would that be around, say, tax breaks for the land or for materials that would go into rental housing? Give me a sense of what some of the options might be. There, uh, there could have been a multitude of options. Yeah, there. there I mean, I, I think um, providing... Uh, municipalities with a, with additional um, options as far as as, as in, incenting uh, things like density, property tax holidays for certain amounts of time, even just readdressing uh, the the manner in which BC assessment analyzes uh, rental buildings. You know, I I I even think that there might be a strong case to be made for a specific designation as opposed to just residential. Uh, classification that there is a purpose-built rental housing designation, which comes with it a different a different um, 
uh, valuation method so that so that you know we're not seeing these property taxes um, at these really unsustainable levels for rental housing. So that hurts both existing rental stock in terms of its ability to to, to keep rents down and and to to fend off the you know sort of necessity for redevelopment of rental sites or you know this 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 trend of rent evictions etc. But also it, it would help. You know the, the the pro formas of new developers looking to, to build new rental projects as well. Looking at housing starts in the budget, they fell six point four percent last year. The forecast is that they're going to fall about sixteen point seven percent this year. From your perspective, how big of a number is that, and could that have a, a significant impact in terms of supply and affordability? Well, I think. I think what's interesting about the numbers is, yeah, I mean, the 6.4 surprised me, but then I did, I did think back to the first part of last year, and particularly on the multifamily side, it, it stayed quite strong for the first half of the year. It was, it was um, really in the second half that we saw the multifamily um, sales figures start to, 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 to peel off. Uh, you know, is 16% a, a, a big number? For sure, it is. Is it, is it a reasonable estimate? Um, you know, I, I, I guess. I guess so. It's, it's a bit of a guessing game, but what I can say is, I would suspect that even if the sales transactions were off that number, what what I'm more curious about is what is the dollar volume? Because where I'm where I'm guessing the transactions are going to be occurring is going to be in what I call the meat and potatoes of of, of our marketplace, and that is, um, you know, first, second, third time buyers in in the in the more quote unquote affordable areas where we're talking. Um, um, you know, well, like I said, the meat and potatoes, and and those tend to be smaller dollars in terms of of, of per transaction. So if we see a fifteen to twenty percent reduction in the sales volumes, I'm going to guess that the the overall dollar amounts transacted, as far as as, as a decrease, would be much much higher percentage uh, decrease. Um, and you know, so I don't know if they've accounted for that in their budget numbers. I certainly haven't dissected them to that degree, mm-hmm. but I think that's. You know, from a government perspective, that's the risk uh, to their budget is that, the, you know, their property transfer tax revenues um, might be off by a lot more than that. Because I, I see the bulk of the activity happening in the, in the medium to lower price points in the marketplace. As the provincial government and to some extent the federal government too move into developing housing more directly than they have in the past, do you think the needle is going to move a bit on the nimbyism that we've talked about with you before that you see at the local level toward developments? Has to, has to. People have to realize that um, you can't, you can't. We got to stop talking out of both sides of our mouth. We can't talk about um, an affordability crisis yet. Uh, also talk about not wanting uh, development, you know, talk about traffic, talk about congestion, talk about construction noise. These are realities of a growing city. And if we don't accept those, then then accept that it will be expensive. It can't be both. Um, and uh, I, I think it is, it is as much uh, an obligation of, of us as citizens of this region to open our minds and to realize that that we can't continue to be an obstacle and i think there is an onus on on governments to change their mindset and that is um uh to 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 change how we react to the special interest groups and i say that with all due respect to um what some of these groups are out to accomplish but i think all too often the greater good is ignored um, you know, I, I am, I, I've heard some, 
um, suggestion that the public hearing process should be abolished. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm no municipal law expert, but there's some merit to that argument because it's not an, an accurate representation of the general population. It becomes a toxic environment where anybody wanting to speak favorably about a particular topic is not comfortable doing so. And, um, and it puts a lot of strain uh, on our elected officials. And, and that is a very difficult job that we ask them to do. And, uh, you know, these, these, you know, approvals process become very, very, very hostile at times. So our whole attitude towards this has to change. Otherwise, we will never, ever even begin to address this affordability problem. I wonder if that maybe potentially opens a, a door of opportunity or window of opportunity for different ways of consultation, be it maybe through technology, not the traditional sort of forum or open house where people go and express their concerns, but maybe there are different ways of having those conversations. I don't know. What do you think? Oh, I totally agree. I, I think that that is exactly why this, this argument to abolish the public hearing process or the public open house process has merit because there's no need for it anymore. We can communicate effectively in a controlled manner where where nobody feels bullied or intimidated to speak for or against something through technology very easily. I mean, it's more convenient for people, frankly. Um, so there's really no need to put a bunch of hostile people into a room, uh, you know, to, to, to yell and, and holler and make people feel uncomfortable. I, I think that we're past that. Um, and I mean, that's a big step to take, but I agree with you fully that these technologies are available. We really don't need to be doing this anymore. Hmm. If you see something like that happen, uh, it, it is a an opportunity in some ways, having these open houses, for people to meet with developers or representatives face-to-face and to have their moment to air their grievances or speak their mind or share their thoughts about what's going on in their community. If you do see it go that way, hypothetically, does that then mean developers maybe have to find other ways of engaging with communities, making sure that their face is out there and they're not just a developer that no one ever sees or gets to speak to? Well, yeah, I think, yeah, for sure. There's, there's a, there would be a responsibility on us to, to find different ways to communicate. You know, the challenge we face is that there is, there is such a stigma around what a developer is. And, 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 and some of it is, is warranted to a degree from, I think, the, the history of, of real estate development. But I would think it is fair to say our industry as a whole over the last 20 years has changed a lot. Um, uh, and uh, the responsibility that we have as an industry towards city building and, and social issues has increased tremendously. And I think we've done a really good job of that. And unfortunately, though, it's, it's tough to shake the stigma. So, you know, meeting face to face with groups, you know, is, is, is rarely something I, I find enjoyable um, because, it, it, you know, because you, you're, you're immediately faced with the um, uh, with the label, right? you know, as being a greedy developer out for just our own good and nobody else's. And, and it's a tough label to shake for sure. But, you know, through technology and social media, there are opportunities to do that. And I think, you know, we would have to take that on. You mentioned technology on that topic. I mean, we're seeing technology radically change a wide variety of industries. How is it changing or shaping the development and construction industry? It's an old industry and it's taking a long time. (laughs) (laughs) I I joke often that we are, um, we're we're slow to adopt uh, technology as, as, as a general I guess rule of thumb. I mean, we build buildings much in the same way uh, today as we have for, for years and years and years. But but having said that, there's been more change recently than I've seen in, in you know, there's been more change in the last few years than in all the years in my, I've been in the business before that. And uh, 
Um, so it's exciting. We're seeing, you know, innovations within buildings, technologies, home automation, uh, the, you know, some of the technologies around meeting these green building targets. Well, those are its own issue in terms of achieving affordability. They're a, they're a necessary struggle to get towards where we need to be as far as developing green buildings. And through that, it's coming, we're coming up with some really cool new, uh, you know, uh, ways to treat envelopes on buildings, window systems, heating and cooling buildings. That, that's all changing. And so that's, that's, it's been really exciting. I mean, there's a lot to learn and wrap our heads around, but uh, um, I think we're slowly doing that. We've seen in the city of Vancouver, these pilot projects or installments have modular homes that are temporary, but I'm curious on the materials or construction side, if there's any kind of big developments that might make the actual physical construction of homes much, much more affordable and that through that, that might be a way to in some way address affordability challenges. Well, yeah, I mean, these modular homes seem to be pretty effective in terms of meeting that demand um you know the unfortunate thing is is you know that's not a that's not a model that can be extrapolated i don't think into a larger scale and and mm-hmm. those are temporary buildings I mean, they're not on permanent foundations etc 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 and i'm not sure that they are being held to the same standard as the rest of the market developments in terms of building performances and all these types of things so i don't see a uh, you know, uh, an arrow in the quiver that's going to solve this in terms of the technology, because right now we are dealing with added technologies, but those added technologies are um, are are really about uh, building efficiencies and 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 whatnot, and they're actually just they're they're actually increasing costs. They're not actually assisting us uh, at the moment in bringing costs down, and I don't see that on the immediate horizon. I'm sure as we get uh, further along and we start talking about robotics and whatnot, there, there may be an opportunity. I did watch a YouTube video the other day of a robot putting up drywall. But frankly, <laughs> if, if we put up drywall at the speed, the robot put it up in the video, we'd never get anything done. So we're, we're a little ways off from that. And, uh, you know, at the moment, we're, we're still grappling with actually trying to keep a handle on the cost pressure that, that you know, some of these new technologies are putting on housing right now. Mm. How far away are we from seeing at the mainstream level fully automated homes with no keyholes, no nothing, just very advanced kind of futuristic homes? Is that light years away or is that maybe coming more quickly than we might think? Oh, I think that's coming more quickly than we think, for sure. We're, 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 we're talking about buildings that are already under construction where, uh, you know, fully we're doing, you know, a, a building right now where we've, as a basic standard uh, fully automated lighting and heating controls, blinds, you know, I mean, it's not quite at the, uh, you know, scan the retina and everything turns on and the door unlocks. But, you know, if we wanted it to be, the technology is there today. So to say that within 10 years, we're talking about fully automated homes where you don't have a lock and key set like you're used to, you don't ever touch a switch, uh, that is on the horizon for sure. Hmm. Not going to help affordability, but will look pretty cool, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Jason, as always, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. That's Jason Turcott, Vice President of Development at Cressy Development Group. That's it for our show. Thanks for listening to BIV today. You can get notified of our new episodes by subscribing to us on iTunes or on Stitcher. And you can listen to past episodes and read, watch, listen to more business news over at BIV.com. I'm Haley Wooden. Thanks again for listening. 